0: The reading this morning will be taken from Ephesians four, chapter thirty-one and thirty-two. Ephesians four, thirty-one and thirty-two. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put, be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. a story, a story that's not going to make sense to most people under the age of 25, but for the rest of us we will get it. Heard a story about a guy who was going to Blockbuster to rent a movie, and right now I've lost everybody under the age of 25, but that's okay. So a guy was going to Blockbuster to rent a movie. What he didn't know in the process was that there was another guy inside the Blockbuster that the police were waiting to arrest. And so as he's casually strolling up to the door of the blockbuster, suddenly this guy comes out, and police jump out of cars and from behind the building, and they run towards the guy, they tackle him to the ground, they put his arms behind his back, they handcuff him, and and do the whole ordeal right there in front of this astonished individual who had no idea what was going on. And as he's standing there with his mouth gaping open and his eyes all wide, One of the police officers looked up to him and said, they mean it when they say that you have to return it by noon the next day. (laughs) And I share that story because I like to make us feel old and everybody else feel unintelligent. (laughs) No, I share that story because we've all seen people completely overreact to things that are past due. In fact we may have been the ones who overreacted ourselves. But the truth is, we, we all know something about things being past due. Because we've all been in a situation where somebody owed us something. Maybe they owed us an explanation. Maybe they owed us an apology. Maybe they owed us a chance or, or even a second chance. Maybe we were owed some truth that hasn't been told yet. Maybe we were owed some, um, some faithfulness that had been promised before. We've all been in a situation, and may even currently be in such a situation, where we're owed something. Because the unfortunate reality is that at some point in time, each of us is going to be wounded by and anotherer. each of us is going to be offended by and anotherer each of us is going to be wronged even by and anotherer now you notice I used the weird word anotherer there several times I'm referring to you and I as disciples of Christ as members of the Lord's bodies the Lord's body I made it plural as members of the Lord's body We are anotherers. We are people who have the responsibility of fulfilling the one another commands of Scripture. And the unfortunate reality is that oftentimes anotherers hurt anotherers. That's what we want to talk about today. As we continue our study of the one another commands, you may have seen it in Ephesians chapter 4, particularly verse 32. We come to this command. That instructs us to forgive one another. And I have to be honest, this might be the most difficult one another command for us to get. Forgive one another. And you know, Jesus understood we were going to need this. Jesus knew in advance that his followers were going to need some direction when it comes to forgiveness because he did not deny the reality that you and I are going to get hurt think about the model prayer for a moment luke chapter excuse me matthew chapter 6 you have jesus teaching his disciples how to pray and in verse 10 through 12 after jesus says pray then like this he goes on to say your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. But the real challenging statement is verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus tells us very bluntly as he teaches us how to pray that guess what? You're going to have debtors. You're going to have people that owe you something and that implies you're going to have people that wound you, that hurt you, that injure you in some capacity. The model prayer implies that people will owe you. And what I want us to understand today is that the Bible teaches us that the job of another's is not to be debt collectors, but to be debt cancelers. Look again at Paul's instructions for those who are owed debts in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Get rid of all that. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul indicates that the job of another is, is to forgive each other, and as we continue this study of the one another commands, we come to this, and it's not easy. You know why it's not easy to accept the forgive one another command? It's because forgiveness is completely unfair. Forgiveness is unfair. We have to acknowledge that fact. We live in a world, we live particularly in a culture here in America that values and esteems and to some degree worships fairness. Think about it. It is a big deal in our country to pass laws that promote equality, and I am all for that. But our... our uh, um, Value of fairness goes beyond that. Our value of fairness extends to driving. We have unwritten rules of ethics when you're driving, such as don't cut me off, such as don't pull out in front of me, such as, hey, there's construction up ahead, don't zoom down that lane so you can get up ahead of me, get in line with the rest of us. Whether or not that's the best tactic is a different story. We have the same code of ethics when we're in the grocery store. When you're competing for a line at the checkout, we have the same code of ethics about how you're going to fall in line and you're going to wait your turn, you're not going to cut, and you're not going to cheat, and you're not going to be unfair. We love fairness. And I'm not opposed To fairness. I'm not opposed to things being equal. I think it's a great value. But I have to look at forgiveness, not through the lens of my culture, but through the lens of my God. Because forgiveness is and always will be unfair. And I've got to be okay with that. You see, when somebody wrongs us or hurts us or injures us in some way, we want things to be fair. We want justice. We want retribution. So we go to the Old Testament and we go to a passage like Leviticus chapter 24 and we read these rules in Mosaic law If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now admit it. You like that policy. Because that's fair. That's just. That's proportionate. We like the eye for an eye. Retribution category. It just makes sense to an American. Now look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What did Jesus do right here? Jesus redefined fairness. You see, the reason we like Leviticus chapter 24, the reason we like the eye for an eye policy is because we want forgiveness to be available on our terms. We want forgiveness to come when people have earned it. We want forgiveness to be available when people deserve it but jesus throws our understanding of fairness out the window here jesus comes in and in a sense says that if somebody wrongs you overlook it particularly we'll find out when it's an anotherer he is defining fairness not as retaliation but as forgiveness Why? Because our definition of fairness went out the window when Jesus went to the cross. Because do you know what's completely unfair? Completely unfair is somebody dying for your sins and my sins. That's completely unfair. And so if you're unwilling to forgive, guess what? You're slapping Jesus in the face for what he did for you. Because it's completely unfair what happened to him. No injury, no wrong, nothing that's ever done to you will ever amount to what was done to him for you. And so he calls on us to forgive. Do you know why? Because he did it first. He was willing to forgive. He was willing to practice this very unfair thing. And if you look back at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, after instructing us to put away all bitterness and malice and all these other things, Paul instructs us to forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. In other words, we're expected to redefine fairness using the scales of forgiveness rather than the scales of justice because that's exactly what God did for us. Forgiveness is unfair. But when it comes to your sins, you don't want forgiveness to be fair. You want it to be unfair. Because otherwise, you stand no chance on the day of judgment. So, forgiveness is unfair. We have to accept that. That's just the way it operates. And deep down, that's what we want because the alternative is no good for you and I. But the other thing we need to know about forgiveness is that it's required. Forgiveness is absolutely required. Earlier we mentioned the model prayer where Jesus taught us to pray for God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And immediately after he concluded the model prayer, Jesus decided to elaborate on this portion of the prayer. Now think about it. Jesus did not elaborate on the part of the prayer where he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. He didn't choose to elaborate on the part of the prayer where he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He chose to provide commentary on only one part of the model prayer, the part where he addressed forgiveness. And so if you look at verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus indicates that our extension of forgiveness is, is the required result of our reception of forgiveness. When we put Christ on in baptism, forgiveness was given to us from God, through Christ. And as a result, we are now expected to extend forgiveness toward others. Nowhere is this more apparent than in in the parable of the unmerciful servant, which you can read in Matthew chapter 18 between verse 23 and 35. In the Simplest of terms, the parable goes like this. There was a man who owed his master so much money that he wouldn't be able to pay it back in his lifetime. He begged his master for mercy, and his master graciously forgave the entire debt. Later, that man, who had been forgiven an insurmountable debt, he went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a very insignificant amount of money. That fellow servant begged him for mercy, but instead of forgiving that, that insignificant amount of debt, he threw his fellow servant in prison. Word of what happened got back to the master, and it angered the master. So the master summoned his servant, who he had forgiven the debt of. He chewed him out and threw him into prison Forever. And Jesus concluded the parable with these words in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I think the metaphor there for us is very clear. God has forgiven us an insurmountable debt in comparison to the debts owed to us from our debtors. If God is willing to overlook our debts, then we should, without hesitation, be willing to overlook the debts of others. So I think that's why Paul reiterated his forgiveness instructions from Ephesians chapter 4. He reiterated them in Colossians chapter 3. But there's a significant word in Colossians chapter 3 that I want you to notice. Look at verse 12 and 13 of Colossians 3 with me. It's there that Paul says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He didn't say so you also should forgive. So you also must forgive. The word must indicates obligation. So what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13 is that we are required to, to forgive each other because Christ forgave us. Let's not overlook the seriousness of this obligation. Like I said, it's not fair. It's definitely not easy, but it is expected, undeniably expected. Forgiveness is unfair, but forgiveness is required. And forgiveness is conditional. Now, I've got to explain this, and I need you to hear me out. Because as soon as I use this language that forgiveness is conditional, some of you were made very happy because you've been waiting for me to get to the point where I talk about what the offender has to do to earn forgiveness. But that's not what I mean when I say that forgiveness is conditional. It's worth noting that when Jesus spoke about forgiveness, he did not identify conditions that must be met in order for personal wounds and personal offenses and personal wrongs to be forgiven. He did indicate conditions that were necessary for sins to be forgiven. For instance, in Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, he said, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if if they repent, there is your condition, forgive them. Sins, excuse me, the forgiveness of sins have conditions. But not every wound we incur is the result of sin. Not every offense we we encounter is because somebody sinned against us. Not every injury can be traced back to sin. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 verse 39 when he tells us that there are some occasions for us to simply turn the other cheek. So when it comes to a personal offense, a non-sinful injury or a wound, Jesus never said that your forgiveness must be preceded by an apology or penitent action or restitution. That's not to say such things shouldn't happen on the part of the one who causes the offense. It's just to say that Jesus didn't necessitate it for you to offer forgiveness. See, we have to realize there's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Reconciliation is a two-way street. I cannot reconcile with you if you do not want to reconcile with me. But forgiveness, forgiveness can be a one-way street. I can forgive you whether or not you deserve it. I can forgive you whether or not you ask for it. Forgiveness is the choice of the one who's been wronged. I choose whether or not I forgive. So if I'm not talking about the conditions of receiving forgiveness, then what am I talking about when I say that forgiveness is conditional? I'm talking about the condition of will. Forgiveness is conditioned on the willingness Of the offended to forgive. Go back to the parable of the unmerciful servant. There's a statement made in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 18 that is very important. Because in the parable of the unmerciful servant, it's apparent when you look at how Jesus described the servant who refused to forgive his fellow servant that there's an issue of the will. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 30, Jesus said that the servant who had been forgiven by the master and then found a fellow servant who owed him money, he was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant. Unwilling. That's the key. The condition for forgiveness on the part of the one who's been offended when it does not entail sin is a willingness to forgive. That's our number one problem. Do you realize that? That's why grudges get held on to. That's why bitterness builds up. That's why there's anger residing in the hearts of individuals toward others. It's because they're just not willing to forgive. And I believe that there are probably some of you sitting in the audience today who have a willingness problem when it comes to forgiveness. That there are some hearts in this audience, some hearts online, some hearts out there who have grudges and bitterness that they hold on to because they believe it's their right And when you declare that right, you're declaring something that's going to anger God. Have you ever noticed in the parable of the unmerciful servant what angered the master? The master wasn't angered by the presence of debt. He was angered by the absence of mercy. The thing that made the character in that parable who represents God The most angry was not the wrongs committed by his servants, but the refusal of a servant to forgive his peer. That should tell us that forgiving each other is a priority to our Lord, and our unwillingness to do it angers him. And whether or not this verse is is really connected, I, I don't know. But I find it worth mentioning that immediately before Paul instructed us to get rid of all bitterness and to be kind and compassionate to one another and to forgive each other back there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 and 32. Right before he gave those instructions, he instructed us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Could it be that one way we grieve the Holy Spirit of God is by harboring bitterness and refusing to forgive each other? Is it possible that our failure to forgive grieves the Holy Spirit of God? What we, should, what we need to realize is that when it comes to forgiveness, it's not a matter of whether or not we should forgive, or whether, but, it, but whether or not we will forgive. Because the biggest condition of forgiveness that must be overcome is our own willingness to administer it. Forgiveness is conditional. The condition is your own willingness to give it. And here's the thing, if you'll be willing to forgive, here's what you'll find. You'll find out that forgiveness is liberating. Man, that looked a lot better on my computer. Forgiveness is liberating. There's a story told about a boy who was sitting on a park bench and he was in obvious pain. And a man came along and asked the boy what was wrong and the boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The man said, well, why don't you get up? The boy said, well, I figure I'm hurting it more than it's hurting me. And that's the way some of us approach forgiveness. We hold on to grudges and bitterness because we think what we're doing hurts the other person in return. We feel like we're getting back at them because we've got this grudge, we've got this bitterness They hurt us. They wounded us. They offended us. We're going to hold on to it, and that's how we're going to get them back. And it's just like sitting on a bumblebee. The only person you're hurting is yourself. Forgiveness is liberating, not for the person that is forgiven, but for the person who offers forgiveness. All too often, we hold it in and imprison ourselves. And I think that's what we learn from Joseph. Joseph of the Old Testament. You may recall that when Joseph was a young man, his brothers captured him and sold him into slavery all because they were jealous of their father's affection for him. Several years later, after Joseph endured numerous ups and downs, he finds himself sitting on the throne in Egypt, second in command, overseeing the distribution of food during a regional famine, and suddenly there are his brothers standing before him. And if you scan Genesis chapter 42... You'll see that he treated his brothers like strangers in verse 7. He spoke roughly to them in verse 7. He accused them of being spies in verse 9. He imprisoned them for three days in verse 17. He forced them to endure a series of tests in verses 18 through 20. And he ultimately played mind games with them if you look at verse 28. These are the actions of someone who is not quite ready to forgive. These are the actions of a brother who's been wounded by his brothers. But if you journey through the remainder of Joseph's story, even though he's doing all these things that, that demonstrate a struggle to forgive, what you encounter is you encounter a guy who, on two different occasions, has to remove himself from his brothers because he's breaking out in tears. You find a guy who secretly reimburses their expenses because he wants to make sure they're taken care of. You find a guy who was tormented by his unforgiveness up until the time in Genesis chapter 45 that he chooses to forgive. And look at what he says. Genesis chapter 45 between verses 4 and 8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you said because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In verse 7 he continues and says, "And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God." He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You see, when Joseph was finally willing to forgive, he was finally able to look at the whole picture. Joseph's forgiveness was based on his ability to see God at work in his life. Or to say it another way, Joseph realize that what God had done for him was greater than anything that anyone had ever done to him. And the same can be said for you and I. Because what God has done for us in Christ is greater than anything that anyone has ever done to us on this earth. So here's what we learn from Joseph. Forgiveness is deciding that our identity is not found in our wounds, because our identity is not f- because, excuse me our identity is not found in our wounds, because our identity is found in the one who was wounded for us. And so we choose to focus on what He did for us instead of what someone else has done to us. Now that doesn't mean we act like the injury never happened, or we pretend like it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that we stay in a situation that is abusive or that we just let evil continue to happen in our lives. What it does mean is that we stop collecting debts. And the thing is when you finally forgive the person who hurt you, you find out that you actually freed yourself from the burden of bitterness. Because forgiveness is liberating for the one who forgives. Now you may have noticed throughout this study that God linked his forgiveness of us to our forgiveness of others. I don't know if you picked up on that. But that makes forgiving other people a salvation issue. And why has God done that? Why has he linked his forgiveness to us with our forgiveness of others? I like the way one author summarized it. He said, By denying forgiveness to others, we are in effect determining them unworthy of God's forgiveness. And thus, so are we. picture on the screen is the Titanic. The greatest tragedy associated with the sinking of the Titanic was the amount of lives lost due to the lack of lifeboats. The Titanic possessed 20 lifeboats, which could accommodate 1,178 people. On its maiden voyage, the Titanic had over 2,200 people on board. So that means roughly half of those on board had space on a lifeboat. But the real tragedy is that only 712 people made it onto a lifeboat. Some boats departed only half full, some even less. One boat had a capacity of 65, but left with 28. Why is it that some of the boats, the lifeboats, the means of rescue, the means of salvation in that moment, why were they not filled? It's because some individuals were denied access to the lifeboats. You may think there are some people in your life right now that do not deserve to be forgiven. You are denying them access to your forgiveness. But as an anotherer, you must accept that forgiveness is not conditioned on their deservedness because God's forgiveness of you is not conditioned on your deservedness and you've been instructed to forgive others the way he forgave you. Don't deny access out of a grudge. Don't deny access out of personal bitterness. Because ultimately, if you're holding on to a grudge, if you're holding on to the bitterness you have towards somebody, all you're really doing is denying access to God's forgiveness for yourself. And we're instructed to forgive each other as he's forgiven us. I encourage you today to seek out his forgiveness first and foremost. If your sins have not been washed by the blood of Christ through the waters of baptism, then we invite you to make that decision today because the most important decision you can ever make is to have your sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. And if you have made that decision, but you examine your life right now and realize that you're holding on to something that he has instructed you to let go of, then now is an opportunity to make the correction. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.